Take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6 is where I invite you to turn. And thank you, thank you for being faithful and in your place. And uh, so good to be able to gather as the church to worship the Lord together today. And uh, thankful for the opportunity. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to take up our place in the scriptures together uh, today. We're in the midst of Jesus's sermon on the mount, as many of you have heard it referred to. And as we have been preaching through for some time now. Um, and uh, so thankful for the wonderful, simple, and yet profound truths that Jesus presents to us in this sermon on the mount, the greatest sermon that ever was preached. In the midst of this sermon, in chapter number 6, Jesus begins to speak to us about the motives that govern our hearts as individuals. First, He dealt with the motives behind our worship in the first 18 verses. And then last week, we noticed how Jesus spoke to us about our motives behind our wealth, the things that we love, the things that we look at, focus our attention on, the things that we allow the Lord over our life. But now, in the end of chapter 6, Jesus speaks to us about the motives behind our worry. Worry is the theme and anthem that Jesus wants to speak to us about in this final part of Matthew chapter number 6. Now, three times in this text, and we'll read the whole thing as we preach through it, but for sake of time, I'm going to read three parts of this text to you here, starting in verse number 25. If you're there, say amen. amen. In verse 25, Jesus says to us something. And let's look at verse 25. He says, Therefore I say unto you, read the next three words, Take no thought. Take no thought for your life. Now jump down to verse 31. Jesus said, Therefore, and read the next three words, take no thought. Take no thought. There it is again. Verse number 34. Take, therefore, no thought. See it again? Three times Jesus mentions this statement to us in this passage. I think he's trying to tell us something, don't you? Take no thought. Take no thought. Take no thought. What in the world is that talking about? On the Greek... A, another rendering for it could be, literally in the Greek, it's telling you not to be anxious or not to be worried. And uh, actually the, the connotation of the phrase itself, it speaks of the idea of being drawn in different directions, pulled in so many different directions. And I say to you that that is exactly what worry does to your life. It pulls you apart. It pulls you apart. You are conflicted. Torn about in so many directions. Someone put it this way. He said, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. And that's where a lot of us live, if we're being honest. Worry is something that um, uh, many of us struggle with. Now, I will say that those who don't tend to struggle with wealth or possessions as much, they tend to struggle with worry. Last week, Jesus addressed the motives concerning our wealth. This week, he's speaking to us concerning the motives involving our worry. And the, the text seems to flow in comparing two different groups of people that encompasses every group of people in the world. And the first group of people that Jesus talked about last week with those are those who we would consider maybe to be rich or those who we consider to be obsessed with their possessions. And this week, Jesus is talking about the other group, the poor people, the people who the reality is for them, they have to be worried, they think. They don't, know how, they don't know how the next bill is going to be paid. Rich people struggle with depending upon their possessions instead of depending on God. The poor people struggle with doubting God's provision at all. 
That's the difference. Rich people uh, uh, struggle with uh, 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 wanting to accumulate more and more things while poorer people or people who think they don't have very much tend to be concerned with simply making ends meet. Not consumed, they think, with making more. They just want to make enough to be able to get by. And uh, let's be honest, that's where a lot of us have lived or are living right now. And uh, the truth is, if we really take a step back, we are better off in this country than the vast majority of people around the world. And being able to go to Africa for the first time this year, I, I understand that now in a way I didn't understand it before. We really are immensely blessed. Even the, even the poorest of us would have to say that is true. And yet most of us can still relate with what it feels like to not know how you're going to pay a certain bill. To not know where, where your next meal is going to come from. And the response that we tend to have to this is worry. We worry about the things that we're not sure where we're going to get, about those times we're not sure where the next meal is going to come from. When the next bill is going to be paid. And worry is a feeling that is all too common to the most of us. I'll say this, worry is harmful for your life. Very harmful for your life. Instead of helping you live longer, it'll shorten your life. Instead of solving your problems, it'll just add to them. That's all worry does. Now, Dr. Charles Mayo of the Mayo Clinic was reading something that he wrote about worry. He said this, he said, Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. I have never known a man to die of overwork, but I have known many who died of worry. It affects your health. See, worry is a harmful thing, but not only is worry harmful, but worry is sinful. You know what's wrong to worry? You know that worry is a sin? The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 that we are to be careful or full of care or anxious or worried about nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. God says don't worry about anything. Trust me. Give me your burdens. And yet how often do we flip the script? And how often do we fall into the trap of worry? So I ask you this morning, do you struggle with worry? Are you worrying about something right now? And trying really hard not to? Because you're hearing a message on worry? This is, a, this is where we live, many of us. We struggle with worry. And Jesus has a simple truth that He wants to convey to us today. It's the title of the message. Don't worry, trust God. That's it. We can pack up the Bible, we can go home right now. I mean, that's all we need to learn today. Now, don't say amen to that. <laughs> I was speaking generically, of course. Because I want to expound what the Lord has told us here. But if you don't get anything else out of what we're going to talk about today, that's it. Don't worry. Trust God. Now let's take a minute to cast our cares on the Lord and ask God to speak to us about this subject of worry. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you this morning. We're grateful for the opportunity to open the Scriptures. We're thankful for the beautiful truth that you've given us. A familiar passage indeed. Uh, one that many of us no doubt have heard before. And yet I pray that you would give us a fresh vision of what you have for us in this passage. And perhaps fresh application to our lives. Help us see where we are struggling with the sin of worry. And to turn from it. And to choose to trust you instead. 
And I pray that you'd speak to our hearts as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. As we study this text, I want you to notice three simple steps of faith you can take to overcome worry. Three simple steps of faith. Number one, if you're taking notes, the first simple step you can take is to trust in the providence of God. Trust in the providence of God. Now say this, Christians have no need to worry because God takes care of us. It's very simple. You have no need to worry because God takes care of us. The providence of God refers to His watch care over us. How He watches over us. He cares for us. He provides for us. He guides us as His creation and as His people. And it is the providence of God that is first alluded to in the beginning of our text, starting in verse number 25, if you'll look there with me. The Bible says, Jesus speaking here, Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Jesus begins this verse with a familiar word. He says, therefore. Now every time you see the word therefore, you're supposed to look what it's there for. The word therefore is referring back to the thought that precedes it where Jesus says you can't serve Two masters. In other words, you can't serve God in material gain. And what Jesus is telling us here is that to the, the things that would be considered material gain in this life, we're to take no thought about them. In other words, we're not to be worried or anxious about the temporal things of this life. Don't allow yourself to become over-concerned about material things. Now, obviously, we have to dedicate some time and attention to material, material things in our life. We've got to take care of the things that God gives to us. But the whole idea is that you don't become anxious or full of care or worried about the temporal things of this life. Life is about so much more than the things that we tend to make it about, isn't it? We get so consumed with our own little world and with our own little things and it's a dangerous thing, a trap that all of us can fall into. Jesus speaks about three particular areas here that really ring home for many of us. We can be consumed with our diet. We can be consumed with our fitness. And the things Jesus refers to has much to do with the body. Well, we are a very over-consumed society when it comes to those things. Now, truth be told, some of you might should be a little bit more concerned about those things. But that's a different subject for a different time. But boy, some people, it becomes what their life can be all about. We've become over-consumed about our wardrobe, the things that we wear. And yet the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, verse, verse number 13, meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both, both it and them. That stuff isn't going to matter in the scope of eternity. It's a life is about so much more than the trivial things that we often make it about and you can get so focused on things in this world that you miss what life is really supposed to be all about. Matthew Henry put it this way. He said, your life is more important than your livelihood. Your life. Don't make your life all about your livelihood because the, the things of this life don't consist entirely in the abundance of the things which a man possesses, Jesus said, in another place. So the moral is, if God is truly your master, then you can trust Him to meet your needs. 
If God is telling you to live in a certain way, then you can trust that He'll take care of you as you live that way. The fact that we see revealed to us in this passage is that God is much more to us than just our Lord and just our Master. See, this passage two different times in verse number 26 and verse 32 refers to God not only as our Lord, but refers to God as our Father. And as our Father, God all the more so delights in taking care of us as His children. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 12 and verse 32, He said, It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Boy, when you begin to understand who God is, it'll change your perspective about what you think God is providing in your life. You understand that God is your Father. It'll change your perspective about the things that He provides in your life. Worry is the sin of distrusting God's providence and His promises. That's what worry is. Worry is looking at God and saying, God, what you've given me is not enough. God, you said you'd take care of me, but I don't believe you. So instead, I'm going to pick up the worry about how this is going to be provided. That's, that's what worry is the sin of. The opposite of worry. You know what it is? Contentment. Being satisfied with what God gives you. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5 is in your notes. It says, let your conversation and your lifestyle be without covetousness, a desire for more. And be content with such things as you have. Why? Why can you be content? For he has said, read it with me, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Here's the moral. If you have God, you have all you need. You can be content with such things as you have. Why? Because I'm with you. And boy, if God's with me, I've got everything I need. That's it. And I was a kid. If we were going to go somewhere, I always liked it when Dad went with me. Why? Because if I needed something, Dad, now I am rece I'm receiving the benefit of that as well as a dad, okay? My, my girls want to go everywhere with me. And when we go somewhere, inevitably it happens, they're going to ask, Dad, can we have a drink? Can we have something to eat? And how can you say no, or no to four little beautiful girls, huh? <laughs> but boy, when you've got God, you'll always have access to everything that you need. That's it. And so to help us better understand this vital truth, Jesus gave us three illustrations that we're going to look at here very quickly. And the first, first of all, He shows us how God provides your sustenance. As our providential God, first off, I want you to see He provides your sustenance. Look at verse 26. The Bible tells us here in verse number 26, Behold the fowls of the air. Now the indication of the text here is that as Jesus spoke those words, He very likely actually pointed to some birds that were flying by. Behold the fowls of the air. He's using this as an illustration. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Birds don't farm. Right? They don't sow seed in the field and go out and reap the seed and store up the harvest into barns. No, they don't, they don't concern themselves with doing those kinds of things. And yet, Jesus said God provides them food to eat. And He also provides them the instinct to understand how to get that food. They don't worry or fret where their food's going to come from. 
Now, truth be, so, be, truth be told, for all of you bird watchers, you know this, they do actually work very hard for their food. But they're never worried about where it's going to come from. They just have an instinct inside of them to believe that they're going to go out and they're going to find food because that's what God wired into their brains. They trust that God is going to take care of them and God uses some of you bird people to take care of them indeed. Okay. <laughs> then Jesus asked the question, are you not much better than they? You know, in another place, Jesus answered that question. Are you more important than the birds? Well, Matthew chapter 10, verse 31 Jesus said, you are of much more value than many sparrows. Than many sparrows. You see, the heirs of heaven are, are of much more value than the fowls of heaven. We're the crowning point of His creation and God cares for His creation immensely, but He, he cares for humanity even more so. And the fact of the matter is, if God will take care of the fowls of the heaven, He will most certainly take care of you. I heard the story about an older widow lady she would wake up every morning and go out on her porch and she would say, praise the Lord. God gave me another day to live. She lived next door to an atheist. He didn't believe in God. And he didn't like her coming out and spreading her religion every day. And so he's bound and determined to prove that her God wasn't real to her. So one day she came out on the porch and she said, praise the Lord. Thank God for another day. But God, I'm out of groceries. And I don't know what I'm going to do to get my next meal. God, I need some groceries. The atheist heard her say that. Boy, he devised a plan immediately after hearing that. And he went down to the grocery store and he bought every grocery that he could think a person would want. He purchased it and he came back that evening and he waited until her light went out. And he brought all those groceries and laid them on her porch. And he went to bed and he woke up early the next morning. And he got out before he knew she'd be out because he wanted to see what was going to happen. She woke up and she opened the door and saw all those groceries and she said, praise the Lord. Thank you, God, for another day. You gave me groceries. And just that instant, the atheist jumped out and said, no, God didn't give you those groceries. I went and bought those groceries for you. Your God isn't real, you see. And she said, well, praise the Lord. God, not only did you give me groceries, but you made the devil pay for them. <laughs> Now, I've told that joke before, but it's still funny, amen? <laughs> Point is, God can use whatever He wants to use, but He'll take care of you. Jesus said, I'll provide your sustenance. He gave another illustration. He'll provide your stature. Your stature. Verse 27, the Bible says, Which of you, by taking thought, or worrying, or being anxious, can add one cubit unto his stature? For the word statue, it's debated what it exactly means. It's the Greek word hilakia. And it could speak either of one's lifespan, the length of one's life, or it could speak about one's height. But really, if you think about it, either definition would fit the point Jesus is trying to make. Worrying won't make you taller. And worrying won't make you live longer. Now, I've known many a young man who've been very worried about their height. Okay? And they wish that worrying could make them a little bit taller. And I've known many of people, as they get older, they worry very much about their age and wanting to live a little bit longer. But the fact is, God has already determined how long you're going to live. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 2 tells us that God has appointed for us a day to be born and a time to die. God's already set those days. You think, well, if I live healthy and I do this and that, then I'll extend my life. 
You won't live a day longer than God intends for you to. Now, I think you should do all those things. We understand. Listen, we're not in control of these things. God knows when you're going to be born, when you're going to die. And also, God also knows how tall you're going to be. In fact, in Psalm 139, the Bible actually says that even before the parts of your body were even formed inside of your mother's womb, God had them already written down and noted how tall you were going to be, what you were going to look like, what color your eyes were going to be. All of those things were already determined. God already knew what they were going to be. You're not in control. You're not going to change anything by worrying about it. The point is, Instead of worrying about such things, you should leave your age and your physique to God and choose to steward what God gives you for His glory. I don't know how long I'll live, but I want to live every moment I can for the Lord. I don't know what I'm going to look like 10 years from now. I don't think it's going to be very pretty. But I want to steward what health God does give to me for Him. The Bible says in Psalm 90 verse 10, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. God's a providential God. You can trust Him. He provides your sustenance. He provides your stature. Third of all, we see He provides your clothing. He provides your clothing. Look at verse 28. The Bible says, And why take ye thought, or worry, for raiment, or clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Now in Jesus' day, many commentators agree, and biblical historians, that people didn't have much clothes. In fact, it was most common probably that most people had just one set of clothes that they would wash regularly. Just one solid set of clothes. And so the need for clothing was something that was very real in that time. Today, we have so many clothes that we have to have three or four yard sales a year, a year just to get rid of some of them. And then we go around to each other's yard sales and buy more. Right? I'll tell you, I've been, I've been in places now in the world where I understand there's still a desperate need for clothing in many third, country, uh, third world countries all over this world. In Jesus' day, this was a need that was very keenly felt. And so to demonstrate how God provides for all our needs, Jesus asked us to carefully examine the intricacies of how the lily flower grows. Now, a lily is a beautiful flower. Some of you it might be considered your, your favorite flower. But you know, it exerts no effort of itself to clothe itself. God does it. As beautiful as the outward clothing of a lily flower may be, it, it doesn't toil. It doesn't spin to put its clothes together. God just made it to be clothed the way that it is clothed. And you know, people today, they spend an exorbitant amount of time and effort just to clothe themselves. Some of you men are thinking, yeah, that's exactly what my wife is doing this morning. We spend so much time and effort worrying about what we're going to wear. The fact is, the richest person who's ever lived on this earth, the clothes that he wore could not compare to the beauty of the simplest of God's creation and the clothing that he's given to a lily. Listen, the best that we can come up with can't compare to the wonderful glory of God. That's, that's what the Bible is telling to us. And Jesus uses this as an illustration to communicate something especially important to us that 
And that is that if God makes such effort to clothe a flower that's going to be alive today and going to wilt and die tomorrow and be picked, picked uh, by the people in Bible times, they would pick uh, uh, dead, uh, dead, dead uh, grass and flowers and things of that nature from the field and throw it into their cooking oven, ovens as kindling for their fire. If, this, this, if God cares to clothe a flower that's alive today and going to be thrown into the oven tomorrow, how much more does He care about you? One who's going to live for eternity. How much more? Obviously, the answer is so much more. And then Jesus uses a word, a phrase here. He, 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 he calls us worry words something here. At the end of verse number 30, he said, O ye of little faith. Literally, we could put it this way. Jesus saying, O you who trust me too little. Isn't it interesting? As believers, we trust God to forgive our eternal soul from our sin. We trust God to deliver us from hell. We trust God to take us to heaven when we die. But we can't trust God to pay that $100 bill you've got sitting on your desk at home. Really? God, I believe you can take me to heaven. But I'm just not sure if you can pay this bill. Oh, you who trust too little. It's almost like it's easier to trust God with the big things that we can't understand, but the little things that we think, I don't know how this is going to happen, that's what we struggle with trusting God with, isn't it? And see, God's teaching us today, we don't need to worry. We need to learn to trust in Him. And so to overcome worry, you must choose to trust in the providence of God, in the provision of God. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. Worry exposes a tendency in us to trust our own perspective instead of trusting God's promises. Say, ah, well, I, don't, I can't make any sense of how this is going to happen, how this is going to be provided. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You're going to trust in your finite, limited perspective? Or you're going to trust in the infinite promises of our all-powerful God. The choice is yours. God's calling us today to exchange our worry for faith. And to trust God. Trust His providence. The second choice of faith you can make is to trust in the purpose of God. Not only trust in the providence of God, but trust in the purpose of God. The Bible teaches us here that Christians have no need to worry about how they will be provided for so long as they are living for God's purpose. No need to worry so long as you're living for God's purpose. It has been wisely said, where God guides, He provides. All right? Where God gives vision, He'll grant provision for you. Where God is leading you, He will take care of you. And that's the whole principle of what we learn in these next three verses that we're going to look at. And so in this next section, Jesus challenges us to focus our motives on living for God's purpose and to trust Him to take care of us as we do so. And that's what it begins to tell us in verse 31. Look at verse 31. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Verse 31, the Bible says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Now, some of you are definitely taking thought of that right now. Right? What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? And for a second time here, Jesus says, Take no thought. Don't be worried. 
Don't be anxious about these things. Don't be full of concern about these things. And this time, as Jesus tells us really the same truth, He gives us a new perspective on why we don't need to worry as believers. Continuing on into verse 32. He says, and read, why don't you read the beginning of verse 32 out loud with me. He says, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. After all these things do the Gentiles seek. To worry about possessions, to worry about your needs, is the mindset and practice of an unbeliever. That's what Jesus is telling us here. When Jesus uses the term Gentiles, it speaks of the nations or the people groups. And he's particularly referring to people who don't believe in or who don't know the true God. And by the way, people who do not have a heavenly father, they have every reason in the world to worry. They don't have an, an infinite almighty God to take care of their needs. But to worry about your physical welfare is the mark of a lost mind or a worldly mindset. And you know what the Bible tells us to do when we have the wrong mindset as believers? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a willing sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world's mindset, is what it's talking about. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing, the making new of your mind so that you can prove it is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, the Bible tells us that we got to change how we think about things. I'm going to stop worrying about the things that I need because I have a God who said He's going to take care of me. He's going to provide for me. It's a mindset. Boy, what a, what a terrible testimony to claim that you believe God is your Father and to not trust Him. What does that say to the people who don't believe in your life? I believe in God. I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. What kind of God do you have? That's what they're thinking. And boy, we can often have a terrible testimony when it comes to these things. Now, as a dad, I love taking care of my kids. I love the privilege of making sure that they, they're, not, they're not only cared for, but they have the best of care. I want, to, I want to do everything I can for my kids. Jesus, later in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11, I want you to look at this verse. He said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? Do you really think you're a better dad than God? You think, oh, I want to do anything for my kids. Do you think that God loves you any less? That God would treat you any less? No, my friend. God loves you and cares for you infinitely more than you'll ever be able to do for your children. That's how great of a father God is to you. And so the point is, you need not worry. Because worry is the mindset of an unbeliever. But he goes on in verse number 32. And notice what he says in verse 32. He goes on to say at the end of the verse, For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all of these things. You don't need to worry because God already knows what you need. He already knows it. The truth is, God knows what you need more intimately than you even understand what you need. Now, sometimes we presume to ask God for things and God knows, you know what, you think you want that, but you don't. Yeah. All right? I've got little kids. They ask me for things all the time. 
And if I gave them, if gave them what they wanted all the time, they would eat candy 24-7. Okay? I know that's not good for them. I don't always give them everything they think they want because I know what they need. God knows what you need, and He can discern what you need from what you want. He can discern what's best for you too. The truth is, you'll never ask God for something that He doesn't already know that it's a need in your life. The Bible tells us in, in uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8, at the end of Matthew 6, 8, He says, Your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you even ask Him. And the amazing thing is, God already knows. And yet, God still wants us to ask. Later in Matthew 7 and verse 7, Jesus taught, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. God knows what we need, but He still wants us to ask. Why? I think that part of the reason is this, and listen to me on this. Part of the reason is, God knows that we as human beings need to be able to unload the burden of all of our cares and cast them on the Lord so He can carry them. And every day, God says, listen, I know what you need, but I want you to come talk to me about it. I want you to ask me to meet your need. Give me your burden. Give me your concern. Give me those things in your life that are weighing you down. 1 Peter 5, 7 says you're to cast all your care upon Him because He cares for you. What a powerful truth that is. And so in the place of being worried about the things of this world, Jesus gives us a new purpose to live for. Your job is not to live every day scratching for ends meet. He gives you a new job. Verse 33, he says this, and let's read it out loud together. But seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, if you are, cons if you are to concern yourself with anything in this life, it is, it is to live for the purpose of God. If you are to worry about anything, we can put it this way, to worry about living for God. Leave everything else to the Lord. That's literally what he's telling us here. Instead of living to seek worldly things, you're to live to seek heavenly things. Instead of living to seek what you want, you're to live to seek what God wants from your life. And I want you to notice in particular what the Lord tells us here in this verse. He says to seek something here. That word seek is the Greek word zeteo. It means you're to strive for something. It means you're to aim at something. And what He tells us to strive for, what He tells us to aim at, is supposed to come first in priority. He says, seek ye when? First. first. Not when it's convenient, not when you want to, not when you feel like it. First. First. The word first is the Greek proton. It speaks of something being first in time, in rank, or in, uh, or in place. God is to come first. What God wants is to come first. And what we are to live for, what we are to seek after, is twofold. The kingdom of God and His what? Righteousness. His righteousness. Now, if we take those two thoughts and, and apply it practically, what is the Lord telling us to live for? Well, first off, write this down. We're to live a heaven-focused life for the kingdom of God. We're to live a heaven-focused life. The kingdom of God speaks of God's sovereignty. His rule, His will, His dominion over all things in this universe. And so to seek for God's kingdom is to put God's priorities first in your life. How do you do that? Well, you seek God's kingdom by striving to win other people into the kingdom. To expand the kingdom of God into another heart. 
You seek God's kingdom by living to do the work of the kingdom and allowing that purpose to come first before other, all other purposes in your life. The work of the ministry, the work of God's kingdom. You seek God's kingdom by looking for the return of the king and living with a mindset that the king could come back any moment. You see, that's how you live uh, seeking God's kingdom first. You're to live a heaven-focused life. But then the second application is this. You're to live a holy life. See, you're to seek first the kingdom of God and His what, church? Righteousness. righteousness. And His righteousness. Now, the, the, the word righteousness speaks of a, a right standing before God. Now, obviously, we know that is only made possible for us as sinful people through our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Yet there's a practical application. We who are citizens of God's kingdom are supposed to strive to live our life by His righteous standard of rule. The same righteous standard, mind you, that we learned in the first several verses of the Sermon on the Mount. That is the standard that, by which God wants us to strive to live our life. The Bible says, But as He which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God wants us to strive to live in a manner that is acceptable to Him. To strive to live a holy life. And here's the wonderful thing. As we do this, as you purpose in your heart, I can't do anything about my needs. Alright? I'm going to choose today, I'm going to live for what God's called me to live for. The kingdom of God is righteousness. As you put God's purpose first, God gives you a wonderful promise in response to that. Look at the end of verse 33. He says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God is righteousness. And read the last part out loud with me. And all these things shall be added unto you. Listen, when you put, when you live for God's purpose, you can be certain of God's provision for your life. You, when you live for what He's told you to live for, He's going to take care of you. Hudson Taylor, the great pioneer missionary to China. He put it this way. He said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Never will. Philippian believers in the epistle of Philippians, they demonstrated this, church, this truth beautifully. They were in poverty, and yet out of the midst of their poverty, the Apostle Paul wrote to them and said, you still gave to the work of the Lord so that the gospel should continue to go forward. And after he noticed that they had sacrificially given, even out of poverty, to the Lord... He assured them with this promise that's still a promise for us as believers today. And that is Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. As those Philippian believers put God's purpose first, Paul assured them God will take care of everything you need. And the same thing's still true for you, Christian. The same thing's still true for you. You see, you need to exchange your worry with a choice of faith. Choose to trust the providence of God. Choose to trust the purpose of God. And third and finally, you need to choose to trust the plan of God. The plan of God. You see, Christians have no need to worry about tomorrow because God is in control. The Bible teaches us in so many places the sovereignty of, of God. He rules over all, the Psalms tell us. And uh, the fact that God is sovereign is something that should assure us no matter what kind of need we may be facing in our lives today. You see, because God is sovereign, 
we know that He holds all of our days in His hands. And so the same God who provides for you today will be the same God who will take care of you tomorrow. You may not see how, but He'll be there. He's already there is the truth. And He already has what you need in hand. The Bible says in Psalm 31, verse 14 to 15, But I trusted in Thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. And He said, My times are in Thy hand. I love that. The psalmist said, God, I trust You. And wherever I'm living at in life, I'm going to keep trusting You. I'm going to keep trusting You. So Jesus reminds you that no matter what season of life you may be in today, you can trust God. He reminds you that no matter what difficulties lie on the horizon for you, you can still trust God. This is what He says in verse 34. He says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the third time, Jesus tells us not to be anxious or worried. And in particular, He tells us not to be worried about our todays or about our tomorrows. And He gives us ample reasons why here in our text. Now obviously this is an area we struggle because Jesus brought it up. We struggle with worrying about tomorrow. Someone said, the average person is crucifying himself between two thieves. The regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. Boy, we're so prone to worry about the uncertainties on the horizon. On any given day, I'll talk to someone and they'll say, well, have you heard what's happening on the news? I just don't know what's going to happen in this country of ours. I go on and on down the line with how much we tend to worry about the things that are coming on down the horizon. You know, most of the things we worry about don't ever actually come to pass. Reminds me of the story I heard about an exasperated husband. He asked his wife, why are you always worrying about stuff? It doesn't do any good. And she promptly gave the answer. It sure does. About 90%, 90% of the things I worry about, that never happen. That's true, isn't it? We're worried, we're worried, we're worried, and it never happens. Yet we consume our life with these things. Can I tell you, worrying about tomorrow keeps you from trusting God today. That's what it does. You think, oh, it's just an innocent little sin. Who is it hurting me worrying about stuff? It's hurting yourself. Worrying about tomorrow keeps you from trusting God today. There's nothing wrong with making reasonable plans for the future, but to be worried and anxious about the future, that is sinful and that is foolish. Corey Ten Boom said, Worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrows. It empties today of strength. It doesn't change anything about tomorrow. Boy, it sort of robs you of the joy that you could have today. That's what worry does. And so here's the solution the Lord gives. Verse 34. He said, Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought or concern for the things of itself. You know the burdens of tomorrow? They'll be there when you get there. You don't have to bring them into today. You can pick them up tomorrow. God is with you today and He'll be with you tomorrow to help you bear those burdens. You can trust Him. That's why the old hymn writer, he wrote many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. And that gives you peace and hope. In the verse 34, Jesus said, Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know what? It's enough 
for you to concern yourself about having a right perspective about the burdens you're facing today. It'll do you no good to allow the burdens of tomorrow to be added to the burdens of today. God, in the Scriptures, promises to give grace to His people. And He promises to give you grace that is sufficient for anything that you face. But He only gives it to you a day at a time. He won't give you tomorrow's grace today. See, you need tomorrow's grace tomorrow just as much as you need God's grace to get through today. But He won't give it to you in advance. The Bible actually tells us this in first, or James chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, But He gives more grace. Wherefore He saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. I had a guy talk to me this last week, and he said, With all the things that are happening in this world, I wonder if God's not just about out of giving grace. I understand what He meant. You know the storehouses of God's grace? They'll never be empty. And He'll have enough grace, enough of His favor, to give you the strength to face whatever you face on any given day on that day. But you can't ask for God's grace for tomorrow today. He's got grace for you today though. If you'd be willing to trust Him for it. If you'd be humble enough to admit that you need Him one day at a time. You know that old song that they used to sing? One day at a time. I love that song. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. Just give me the strength to do every day what I have to do. Yesterday's gone, sweet Jesus, and tomorrow may never be mine. Lord, help me today. Show me the way. One day at a time. That's what you need from the Lord. His grace for today is sufficient. And so to overcome your sin of worry, you've got to learn to trust in God's plan for today. The old story is told about John Wesley. He was walking down the street with a very troubled man. and The man said, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this worry and all this trouble in my heart. At that same moment, the story is told that Wesley, he saw a cow looking over a stone wall where they were walking. And he pointed to the cow and he said, do you know why that cow is looking over that wall? The man said, no. Wesley said the cow is looking over the wall because she can't see through it. And that's what you must do with your trouble. You need to stop trying to look through it and you need to start looking over it. Some of you, you've been looking at a wall of worry for too long. And you can't see through it. You don't know how you're going to make ends meet. I encourage you, stop trying to look through it. Look over it. There's a God there who can take care of you. And may that help you today. Now for some of you, what you are worried about, if you be honest in your conscience, is not physical. It is spiritual. You're worried about your eternal soul. If you were to die today, you don't know that you'd go to heaven. You have doubt about that subject in your heart. When I tell you, if you're worried about your eternity, you should be. The Bible says it's appointed to men once to die and after this the judgment. Every person who dies goes one of two places, heaven or hell. Left to yourself where you deserve to go is hell. But Jesus has made a way for you to be saved from your sin so that when you die, you can know you're going to heaven. You know what that way is? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And if you don't know that you're saved, 
You don't know that when you die, you're going to heaven. I hope that you'll give that worry to Jesus today and trust in Him to save you. Let's bow.